Hey, what's up guys? On this episode of Blood, Sweat and Gear, we're gonna start out talking about squats versus leg press. Then we've got a ton of listener questions. Insulin sensitivity, that becomes like a huge conversation. After that, uh, picking posing music, then setting up a cycle in Mexico, plus a bunch more. We're gonna do all that right now. Guys, this program is brought to you by Azoth. That's getazoth.com. That's A-Z-O-T-H, or we have links to the Amazon in our show notes. Our code is advices10. That will get you 10% off on one of the world's best nootropic blends, Azoth 2.0, as well as Total Focus and Pure Energy, two new supplements that both contain Zynamite, proven to increase dopamine levels and keep you on task. Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally, and with me, as always, is Skip Hill and S2H. Our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com as well as getazoff.com. What is up, gentlemen? Skip, welcome back to your program, man. How you been? Thanks for having me back. I'm glad that we got the contractual things out of the way. I, I felt know. like Deion Sanders, you know, when he was a free agent, and he just was going to drag it out and drag it out. But you know what? I ended up getting paid what I told you I was worth. <laughs> So when I when you guys finally sign, I'm like, that's how it should have been to begin with. And I wouldn't have had to sit that out. Dave wouldn't have had to step in like he usually does, saves me at the last minute. So I appreciate that. Everything's worked out now. I'm good for another six months. But when this new not this new contract comes up, I'm telling you, I'm going to do what I got to do because this, this motherfucker's got to get paid. So listen, two episodes ago, you were it's complaining me. of a shot that was uh, and that was like from a week before that. So. Then it turned out to be an issue. You actually had to go to the hospital for that. You posted about it on social media and, and everything else. Um, people thought you were gone because of that. People were like, oh, yeah, David did a good job filling in for Skip while he's recovering. That was that was planned off because you had a client coming in. You guys were doing some posing and stuff. That said, give us like the mini, you know, 30 second or 10 second update <laughs> of what's going Shut on. Up. Because I know, up, you don't, I know you don't. I know you don't want to go into all details because no. you don't have all the details yet. But what's no, what's going on? Because it's not necessarily what we thought it was. First, I just want to say I have been training for thirty five years, Scott. Fuck you. Uh, but then after that, you know that cartoon where where um, Tom and Jerry and the cat's got his fucking leg in the air. He's in the hospital and everything else. And he's, but he's trying to get the fucking. Jerry's running around. He's trying to get that was me. Okay, that's ten seconds. Like that's our thirty seconds. Okay, I got twenty more seconds. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, look. That, here's how it goes. It's the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. I had a shot. It fucked my hip up. First bad shot I've had in fucking twenty five or thirty years, however long I've been doing drugs, which is like forever. And it it made my hip tight. I stretched it. I injured it. I had two MRIs on saturday which was yesterday they will be read on wednesday however i have a client whose dad is a um doctor and he reads mris all the time he's already read it and he backed up what my orthopedic specialist said I, he's probably gonna say the same thing on wednesday it's probably a partial rupture of my gluteus minimus and maximus where initially he said that he thought it was a piriformis and i'm glad that that may not be the case but i won't really know the details aren't really it's not going to come together until wednesday so right now Everything is a go. I'm still a go. So the fuckers who are sitting there going, oh, there you go. You're a pussy. You're pulling out again. I don't pull out. I've got four kids to prove it. I'm not pulling out. I don't pull out of Scott's mom. I don't pull out. <laughs> okay. But I've had some shit in the past. So and it is what it is. 
This right now, I'm not pulled. All I'm doing is I can't train legs. I can't train legs because I can rupture the motherfucker completely and make it even worse. Right. And it's very painful, and I'm getting through. I'm still dieting. I loaded today. That's the Cliff Notes version. All right. Well, thanks for keeping us up to date on that. Well, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about uh, on that topic You know, next time we get together. That said, I, I got something I want to ask you guys today. I'm going to lead this show. By the way, anybody who wants to ask questions, feel free. Drop them in here. Uh, we're going to start the show out today with a, uh, a versus question. I want to discuss, and we're going to make this like a we're going to make this like a ten minute segment, so you guys are on the clock, okay? Okay, we're on the clock. Leg press versus squats. Ooh. Take it wherever you want. Take Run it. with it. S two H, go first. No, you use up nine and a half minutes. What do you Go ahead. Oh, okay, great. All right, then I'm going to use all ten minutes. Uh, leg press. Uh, first, we're we're arguing apples and oranges. That's number one. Okay. Uh, people have built great legs predominantly using leg presses. People have built great legs predominantly squatting. It depends more on the makeup of your and your structure, whether you're long-limbed, all that bullshit. Mm. It also depends upon whether you're built for squatting because I'm going to sit here and go on record, and I like this topic because I know Ask2H over there is going to he's going to come up with a little different because he's got a little different approach because he's got more of a powerlifting background. I'm going to go on record and say squats are not the king of quad development. They certainly are the king of building incredibly thick glutes, adductors and hamstrings that end up making sometimes your legs look like shit anyway. They're bigger. They're bigger by four inches because you've got more hamstring coming around to the inside along with adductors. But when it comes to specifically quad development, I don't see the large majority of the time that squatting all the time is beneficial from a bodybuilding standpoint of developing great quad muscularity. Hmm. Take it, Scott. Ass two um, I came up with that just out of the fucking <laughs> blue. I'm so witty. Could Dave do that? Could Dave Kalick do that? Dave maybe. didn't do that. Dave maybe. didn't. Yeah. Maybe he could. Dave, shut up and quit using my 30 seconds. Go ahead. Um, I, Oop, time's up. I, I never, I never liked to squat a whole lot. To be honest with you, but this is. I'm going to say squats build better legs than leg presses. Let's let's bring your mic in a little closer, Scott. You're all. Yeah, I'd here. say I'd say squats, squats. For overall leg development, especially leg, well, quad. for quad development, squats are better. But I mean, you can move your you can move your stance around with both of them. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm still of the, of the thought process: if you've got genetically good legs, you're going to keep getting good legs if you squat, lunge, leg well, press, whatever. I, I can agree with that. But I'll tell you this: leg pressing is a lot easier on your body overall, back, lower back. Um, I don't know too many people have gotten hurt leg pressing, but I know a lot of people got hurt squatting. Yeah. So, I don't know. Whatever your flavor is, I take squats. I'd pick one or the other. Let's 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 look at this. So, here's one thing I thought about for leg press. Now, when I've hurt my back, and this is like looking at looking at the, like the at home training situation. Training from home has been good during the quarantine, except for legs can be tricky. If my back is a hundred percent. I can do what I need to do, but if my back is feeling off at all, it's nice to be at the gym. It's nice to have a zillion different angles, to have leg presses, to have single leg leg presses, you know, to do anything I need to do without having to use, you know, my low back in the same way as I do with squats. So I will say that. Now, of course, though, the opposite side of the thing, let's look at this. Now, I feel like in a way, 
as bodybuilders, as people that are into training, we always are headed ingrained in us that like squats are king. And I understand, Skip, that in part, you're kind of defying that. You know, you're questioning like what we've all been taught that like squats are the best thing. You got to squat, you know, all of that. They have T-shirts made for that. But I mean, at the end of the day, man, I think that you can really grow some good mass with them, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, the 80s and you know, the 80s proved that, right? I mean, Arnold's legs are so big. The, <laughs> ag- the average regional competitor has bigger legs than the pros did then. Think about that. And all and all they did was squat. I, I used Arnold just off the top of my head. But if you yeah. take any of those pros, you could take it. You could take a regional or national level competitor right now. And their legs are better and bigger than the large majority of the pros were in the 80s. Fair. I mean, right. We can agree on that. Can we? I think there's a better minus Tom or, or like presses though. Yeah, what's up? Uh, barbell lunges. Yeah, yeah. I used to train with a guy who trained me and my wife way years ago, and I used to put 135 on there, and I have to lunge across the parking lot to the dumpster and back. And it was brutal, right, and it actually made my legs, legs grow the most. Okay, because it, it, here's my thing. I think it's brutal on the lungs before it's brutal on the legs. My lungs right. are gonna give out before my legs Works ever give out on lunges. I'm not saying they don't. I can't argue that. I think that Ronnie's legs are giant because he lunged. Yeah. Sarcasm. He was giant. He was giant anyway. I know, and I agree. And that's he's a bad example because no matter what he did, that motherfucker was the king. So if he says squat, and <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with the king, basically king shit, Mr. Olympia, best Olympia ever, all time, best bodybuilder on the planet. But obviously, there's a genetic component there. Anyway, I stand by the fact that legs at the regional and national level are better now than the pros then. And it's because, I don't think it's because they train harder, to be honest with you. They trained hard in the fucking 70s and 80s, but they had limited options for legs. The bulk of their leg training was some form of free barbell squat. I would even defy so go find some, somebody find a Smith machine squat before 1990. Go get one. Find yeah. me one. Yeah, I guess You'll they weren't. You'll be hard pressed to find one. They weren't that popular. I I don't know though. I feel like I feel like legs just weren't considered to be as as important of a body part back then either. There's you know? there's an argument for that. Like, I can't I can't deny that. Like glutes didn't even exist back then. Like we didn't even think of them as a body part. You know. Yeah, I would agree. But posing to help to I think the glutes where they could go back to the you know Rich Gaspari days and ah. Lila Prada days but they posed differently they really just let their glutes hang they didn't really yeah, contract did. in the rear you know the rear shots and everything else it was to show hamstring development their foot was you know so far underneath them that it's kind of it, you know it's kind of funny looking at how posing has progressed from the back and when it comes to showing, you know, leg development now versus, you know, 25 years ago. There's a lot of there's a lot of variables there. I can't say that you don't make good points. I, I will say that S2H doesn't make very good points. I'm going to keep using this, too, because I really like this. I'm being very punny today. All right. All right. Well, anyway, listen, guys, we're going to go to some questions. Then. Um, we'll start out with uh, what we have here on uh, the live feed. We have some questions that were written in. Anybody else who wants to throw any questions in, please do. Um, let's go here to uh, this is Ari. He says, uh, how would you use berberine in a cutting phase and what doses um, and what time of day? Man, I remember when you guys first started PED radio, I felt like there was an entire season of berberine. Like metformin <laughs> and berberine. Yeah. It was like yeah. 10 episodes worth. Yeah. So sorry to I dig that back up. Yeah. I mean, but it works, right? So 
No? Uh, Doesn't berberine. work? Yeah. Yeah, it works. Just, just use metformin. <laughs> I know, right? It's weird because I, I'm, I'm an old school fallback. At the same time, I'm even, my thoughts, and here's the thing. Thoughts have changed based on experience and, and knowledge and continuing to learn and things like that. I don't have the same feelings on berberine or even metformin that I did back in the PED days. Really? You know, I, yeah, I just, I don't, look, I'm not going to say that neither of them, you know, I, either of them don't work. They, they work, but I think we're talking... Okay, how do I explain this? There are micro, there are things you can make micro change that will make micro changes and things that will make much larger and more significant. I don't think that berberine or metformin are going to make these these differences that are that really almost kind of warrant using those compounds. If I want to do something that really has an effect, I'm going to use insulin. I go for insulin. I know you were talking more along the lines of like GDA and stuff, but even when yeah. I get questions about GDAs, I'm like. GDAs are so the 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 results that you get from them are these micro results. It's like creatine. It's like if you add ten pounds to your bench, is creatine really worth it when you're sitting over here and you could just take testosterone that actually works? That's really more how I look at it. Now I understand that Ari or somebody else here, they may be coming at it from a natural standpoint, and some people just want to take those those smaller things that add up and they, I remember I've always remembered Phil Viz saying this Phil Viz and I argue about one main thing we're on the same page a lot of shit but he says if you even get a half of a half percent but you do that with 10 or 15 things that adds up over time yeah. I can't deny that but you add up point zero 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 two five 10 or 15 times over you're still not getting much in the end it's not quantifiable it's not quantifiable in the sense that the cost to benefit is there uh, to me I, when you can just do something that something else that has more of an impact than than these these very very small things that look really good on paper, can you see a change or when you use something small like that over time, on paper you're just using it because it on paper it looks good because it's supposed to work. So I'm not going to tell somebody not to use it. All I'm saying is if you're working with me and you ask me if you should use it, my answer is going to be no. I'm going to say, no, you really don't need you. If they want to use it, I'll support them in using it. Cool. But I don't think it's going to make it's not it's not even deal maker, deal breaker, which is my clients know those those two terms. If they're if it's a deal maker or deal breaker, cool. It's an important and it's significant, significant enough to talk about. If it's not going to provide much of a result, push it to the side and find something that has or will provide more of a result. Interesting. Uh, yep. Tanya Miller said metformin didn't do anything noticeable for me. She had used it for a year and a half uh, for misdiagnosed PCOS. Wasn't even insulin resistant, which it can be used for that. Um, and then when she stopped mm -hmm. taking it, she had massive positive changes in her training and her energy. I will tell you this, that you can definitely overdo either berberine or metformin and you can go flat you can go flat as shit and i've seen people definitely miss out on muscle gains now i know he's talking about improving his insulin sensitivity and what you can do with your diet by the way right right you know yeah. but nonetheless I, I think you could definitely you could definitely overdo it too so it, it could be even harmful i think it can be really beneficial but yeah i think the point you're making skip number one i mean you're saying that you're not it's not going to make or break you but that diet will i think that's the key absolutely it may help if with it may help with insulin sensitivity but the diet guess what else will you know yeah the diet. exactly if you're having issues with insulin sensitivity not just ari but anybody yeah don't go 
Don't take your brain to, hmm, should I use berberine or should I use metformin? <clears throat> what you should do first is is talk to somebody or work with somebody who can get your diet to the point where it's helping you with your insulin sensitivity to be to increase that and reduce the insulin resistance. Keep in mind, and I don't want to get going on this long, but I want to make this point because I think it's very, very important when it comes to insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance. You are not one or the other. People get confused about this and they say, and they talk and, and they think in very black and white. I'm insulin resistant. I'm insulin sensitive, insulin sensitive. You're not one or the other. <clears throat> You're a combination or a ratio of both. It just shifts. So you may be 80%. You're more insulin sensitive than you are or than you were before, but you, there's just this changing, shifting ratio. It's not one or the other. You're not insulin sensitive. Like you would be 100% insulin. To talk in black and white and to think in black and white parameters like that, I think is misleading. I don't think it's a very good idea. Hmm. Scott, you got any well, thoughts on this? It's diet related too. I mean, I, mean, I mean, you know, if you're like, somebody says, I'm going to take berberine, but I'm eating 400 grams of carbs a day. Well, maybe you need to look at your diet first, you know, like you mentioned. So I think, you know, like I said, I agree with Skip. I think it's one of those things that kind of makes a little bit of, little bit of, maybe a little benefit, but it's one of the little, little benefit ones on most people. Even aside from diet, uh, body composition, body fat mm -hmm. levels and things like that mm -hmm. play into resistance versus uh, sensitivity as well. So uh, get leaner, which is clearly obviously having to do with diet too, but you can be you know, your diet can look really good and it can be that, but if your body fat levels are still too high and they haven't come down low, then you may battle with being more insulin resistant. Get your body fat low, get your diet dialed in. Then if you're continuing to have issues, then maybe something like that would be, would be something more to look into, but go with diet first, body fat levels first, and then go from there. I'm looking at, we had another question now. So last episode, we had a question about using berberine or insulin with uh, MK677. Uh, what about now? Here's a question. Using berberine alongside GH if insulin sensitivity is still good uh, in place of exogenous insulin use. And my question would be why? Why not use insulin? Yeah, well, why? If you're insulin, if you're if you're good, why are you take it? Yeah, I mean, unless someone, you know, then the argument could be. I mean, I'm being presumptive, but you know, they don't want to use insulin. I'm not gonna knock somebody for not wanting to use insulin, but why? Like, why? Why would you not go with what the tried and true method is when it's been shown over and over and over? And there's so many, so much experience with insulin combined with growth hormone use and protocols that have been proven over time versus something that isn't even utilized very much. I mean, something like berberine or metformin with GH is just not something that that there's much anywhere near as much experience uh, put, you know, combining those two things together. All right. I know it's not very, I tell you, I will say this. It, I'm not answering the question and I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I mean well, it's, it's one of those things where people take things like ancillaries that, you know, stuff like that, just because they think they need it. It's kind of like the old, uh, you know, I'm taking trends. So I have to take, you know, uh, Brahmi or whatever, you know, cause I'm going to get, got, I'm going to get leaky boobies or whatever, yeah. but you never get them. So why take it? You know what I mean? So it's sometimes you, sometimes people take things that they don't like, they don't need, but they think they need to take it. I can tell you that I have never once used Kaber 
or Primey, anything like that. Like I just haven't needed it. And I'd say that of the people I've worked with, I can say that most all of them have never needed because they don't like that. need it. That's that's a good point. And I'm glad that you point that out because I feel the same way. If I had to throw out, this is just off the top of my head, if I had to throw out the last 10 years of numbers, yeah. I would probably say that in all the clients that I have trained in the last 10 years, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that I've had 10 people in 10 years who have used you know, or I had asked about or used a combination like that. It, it just, it doesn't come up very much. I, I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't know what the picture is and what it looks behind the scenes. Uh, you know, and peptides is a good example without getting off on a tangent. But I think a lot of people think, oh, the pros, they use tons of peptides and, and, and the high-ranking amateurs use tons of peptides. Truth is, they really don't. They use GH because it fucking works. And that's the old standby, the, the tried and true method. Yeah, it's like it's like it's tried and true. They know it's going to work. They use GH. It's, yeah, it's peptides are not used to the level that most people who don't know what it looks like behind the scenes would think. I think that it's, I think that, and I don't know where they got the information. Maybe it's them just you know guessing and assuming that that's what it is, but that's not the case. Yeah, I've heard Shelby say the same thing before. Yeah, everybody <laughs> like Ron and Dusty have said that. You know, the same thing with like SARMs that. You know, like that they aren't they aren't really, you know, and I, I think that comes back to we've talked about it before that like we're we, you know, I, and I remember years ago thinking to myself, like John Meadows had said that he never used IGF one. And there was a point early on and I was like, oh, shit. Wow. He did all that. Like, I thought maybe he had to have been there. There was a few things I probably hadn't been taught yet. That, he's holding back. He's yeah. old now. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I will say so. Scott Stevenson made a point and this ties into. What you had said last episode, S2H, he said insulin can cause insulin resistance if overdone. Uh, so that's uh, that's not an issue with GDAs. Um, so, you know, that's I think one point was what was it? So last episode, somebody had said something about using insulin for to, to improve insulin. I can't remember what the question was, but I guess that's one thing to consider, though, right, that. At the end of the day, if you're if you're insulin, if you're instant, if you're insulin sensitive still, anytime you're using insulin, you're you're potentially going to lower that. Could you use? I'm gonna so I'm digging a little bit deeper here. Could you use, say, a strong GDA like metformin or berberine to combat that? Like so, like you just use insulin occasionally, you know, a few times, whatever, a couple times a week on loads, and could you could you have like re resensitizing days? I wonder. I, or is that over overthinking? No, I mean, it? if you're, I mean, if you're going to load, you could take a GDA instead of insulin. Okay. I don't think it's going to help you desensitize. Okay. I was thinking yeah. more like, what if you're like really pushing things? You're potentially messing with your insulin sensitivity, and then you have like you know a couple lower days in there through the week or something. A lower day where you aren't pushing carbs as hard. You're using berberine. You're trying to like you're trying to build your sensitivity back up. Is that is that worth it to you, Scott, to to do that kind of thing? No, because I don't see how it would work. Okay. I mean, you're supposing disposing glucose with a GDA. I don't know where that's going to help you with your 
insulin use. I don't, I don't really, I mean, it could, if you, I mean, if you started eating too many carbs and you had to use them, yeah. but I think it comes down to a diet thing and it comes down to just not abusing insulin. Okay. Yeah. Or abusing carbs in your diet and calories in your diet and being too goddamn fat. I mean, it comes around to what we're talking about earlier. You make a very good point because that situation happens a lot, Scott. I get what I get where you're going, but but what we were just what I was explaining earlier yeah. is that's when you have to look at it and go if you're pushing that many carbs and your body fat is so high and you're struggling to progress yeah. you know i use the example of me when i first started i have i'm putting up the numbers that i am now that are just as good as i was at 236 why primarily because i'm insulin sensitive at this point yeah. and yet i yeah. get my nuts busted for for the skip loads that i have and everything else but that's part of the reason that I'm so goddamn insulin sensitive at this point. So because my body fat levels are so low, because I respond so well to the higher caloric intake that when I come into the beginning of the week, those numbers look like they did when I was at 236. Yeah. And there's progression there where there wasn't when I wasn't as insulin sensitive. It's hard to gauge whether you're insulin sensitive huh, or resistant. Huh. Yeah, but yeah. The easiest way to do it isn't even to look at people like, oh, it probably has to do with body fat levels or anything. It's look at your progression. If you're taking in more calories and you're not progressing in the gym, yeah. there's a very good chance. Now, you could be overtrained. There's variables there. But there's a good chance that you're not as insulin sensitive. Hmm. You're not using the added nutrients that are coming in to be used more for growth. They're just being stored. And when they're being stored, that's almost an exhaustive yeah. process to the body. And it's tapping into your recovery, which is basically like reducing your recovery. That's why when you get a little leaner and people know this, if they've gone through enough cutting cycles, you can sometimes drop just like 10 pounds. And all of a sudden you go, oh my God, I'm, I'm stronger in the gym. Might only be a couple reps or something, Yeah. but you're stronger, but you're leaner because you're more insulin sensitive. The nutrients and the absorption, the assimilation of these nutrients is more efficient than when your system was bogged down with too many calories and carbs. God damn, I'm energetic when I eat, when I'm loading. You're energetic you now. Yeah, right? So, okay. So I, I like where we're going with this then. Uh, and it, it, it's kind of where I'm personally at now. You know, like I'm at a point right now where I've been pushing, my weight's getting up there. I'm starting to feel like I'm not responding as well as I would like. And I've been kind of tossing around what I want to do next. I will say to agree with you guys thinking like, well, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and add berberine in. That was not going to be my first step. You know, that was not going to be my first idea, but in a position like that, if I wanted to keep progressing, then what, what would you think as a, as a coach skip, what are the, what are some of the variables you would maybe look at to say like, well, maybe, maybe let's make these little tweaks. And I'm, I'm taking this personally for myself right now. Let's say this. Because you're basically saying what Ari is saying, in a sense, there's parallels there. If you, if I knew you, and you were my client, you were both my clients, and and I knew that you guys really wanted to do this, like like you're thinking outside the box, in a sense where I want to try this, I want to practically apply. I would I would actually encourage you to do it. You know why? Because in doing this for two to four weeks, it's not wasted time because you're going to learn something. Okay. You're going to learn it's probably not going to work. It could work. It could help. No, 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 but. but but what? it probably won't, and then you'll be like, it'll it'll be more ingrained because you'll think, damn, I thought that this would help me to increase my sensitivity, and it's not because I'm not making any more pro I'm basically in the same situation I was before I used it. No, what I'm asking is, as a coach, and you're my, you're my coach right now, that's the situation I'm in, 
then what what do we do? I'd increase your recovery and decrease your calories because the extra calories you're taking in to help to progress, to grow is not working. Mm -hmm. It's decreasing your insulin sensitivity, increasing insulin resistance by cutting back and increasing recovery and cutting calories back, maybe even bringing your body fat level. It could be argued, Skip, you're saying a mini cut. I heard you three (laughs) weeks ago. You talked about not doing a mini cut. But the caveat here is, and I said this on my board when we're discussing it with the, with the expert panel, the same topic, and I, I am certain that I said it if I have if this topic has come up on the show, that the one time, the, the one situation that I do agree with a mini cut is to increase sens- insulin sensitivity. Yeah. That's when that's a great idea. In fact, you're not really doing the mini cut to drop body fat. Yeah. Dropping body fat is just a side effect. It's a symptom of lowering the calories to increase insulin sensitivity. And then you accidentally, I mean, it's predictable, but it's a side effect. It's a symptom. You lose some body fat in the process. But the number one thing you're doing that you want to happen with that is you're increasing insulin sensitivity. And you'll start growing again. And it seems counterintuitive. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. How am I going to start growing again? I'm not going to be as heavy. That's where that proves to the client because they see it happen in real time. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, my God, they buy in when they may not be. They may not buy in. Otherwise, if you're just telling them you trust the guy that you're working with, you should. But there's a buy in there when you see and feel it happen. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, God damn. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's something I think any of us who have who have dieted down, we've seen it. You know, we've seen where. You know, you're at the end of a bulk phase. You start cleaning things up. First thing that happens to me is I get really hungry. And then maybe I might feel a little bit weaker just because I'm not used to my blood sugar going a little bit lower than it was before. But get just like a couple weeks into a diet and things start firing on all cylinders. Every time I've always said to myself, man, I need to be like this more often. This is like the most productive place to be right now. You know, you feel like you're you're feeling good. And that's honestly... I'm kind of thinking this out for myself right now because that's honestly where I need to be, I think, in, in my own personal bodybuilding. Because I've been pushing for a while, you know. I've been adding food. I've been I've been getting kind of loose with the carbs, and I can see now that I'm starting to I'm starting to plateau. And I think that I need to I need to step it back just a little bit, get a little bit more effective. So this has been a a, a good conversation for me personally. Cool. All right, um, Scott. Hold on. I'm gonna get. I'm getting. I'm getting my wife to turn all the fire sticks off. I think I'm. I'm the data problem here. Oh. Oh. Then skip. Well, I'll keep going with you. All right. How do you guys deal with strength loss? Oh, we just kind of adjust addressed this in for almost. Uh, how do you guys deal with strength loss while dieting? What approach do you usually take uh, when you get things rolling? Uh, it's not usually uh, strength loss as much as it is fatigue and falling off a cliff. Here's what I tell people. Gauge your strength by the first set of each exercise. And it's usually when you're in a cut phase, it's usually best to only gauge your strength on the first one or two exercises per body part. Because after that, fatigue takes over. And people tend to focus on the fact they're like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm losing strength because on their second and third set, they're not able to put up the numbers that they were on the first set. But the truth is that's more of a fatigue and dieting issue. It's, it's a side effect of being in a caloric uh, deficit. If you come straight out of the gates and you open your chest workout with a specific exercise where all of a sudden your strength is down, 
then you need to look at it sometimes or you need to look at it closer sometimes it's a depletion issue because you're not losing necessarily losing muscle tissue until you're in a state of extreme caloric deprivation for long periods of time but a lot of times it's a diet issue i mean not always because because i will say this too because i think this is important it's an individual thing though too in the sense that some people will fall off i call it falling off a cliff you basically you have for the first set or two you have that strength or it's very close to what and it, it just You've, it's a fatigue factor after that. Um, there's another issue too, where sometimes people can slow down their training to the point of the rest time between sets, and that will help oh, yeah. to keep their strength up as well, because it doesn't allow the fatigue factor to to it basically slows the fatigue factor down a little bit. So, you know, we tend to when we're cutting phase. I think most people tend to. I know I do move a little quicker, you know, you feel like you're keeping, you know, your heart rate up, maybe not circuit training type shit, but you don't want to take too long between sets and, but it's actually a better idea sometimes for recovery. And if you're trying to maintain or trying to not allow you to feel that massive fatigue by the middle of your chest training or the middle of your leg training to slow down and take a little bit of extra time for recovery in between sets. Stage. I think most people, when they cut, they change their training a lot. You know, like Skip said, they start picking things up real fast. They start going higher reps. They start doing more more sets. They just start increasing stuff. But I always train the same way. I, I never got any weaker. Pretend so, the microphone is alter. your pretend the microphone is your boyfriend's dick and put it closer to your mouth. Thanks, Skip. You're welcome. It's okay. Sometimes I have to talk in in S two H. He has he has to come he has to come out because he's a little he's a little self conscious about his hip there. I am very self conscious uh, about it. Yeah, I mean, don't. I think the big thing is don't change change your training up so much. A lot of people make these huge like changes where they start moving real fast, doing tons of high reps. Yeah. And they think they lose their strength, but if you just train the same way that you know, dance with the one that brought you, and yeah. you won't you won't. I mean, you're going to have some fatigue. Like when you're like three weeks out, you're not going to have like the most motivation in the world. So some of that's psychological, you know, you're all drawn down and dieted down, but I don't think it ever, mine never went down strength. Well, it actually probably went up, you know, if anything. I feel like but there's, I mean, I've noticed an initial loss. I think that there's like, um, you know, say like you take a guy who's, who's maybe not eating super clean and then he decides to clean the diet up, starts dieting. He drops 10 pounds out the gate. You know, obviously that wasn't fat, but that was fluid and that's going to change your leverages. And I do feel like, you know, you can lose some strength out the gate with that. I don't think that that's any kind of like real muscular strength loss. I do think that one thing I would suggest is look at your minerals, you know, add in some sodium pre if you're not using sodium consistently through the day you know, pre-workout sodium. I think that that can be a big one to really hydration in general, I think is a really big factor. So if you start dieting and you find that you're getting weaker or you find that you're like some days you're excessively weak, then definitely look at your hydration. I feel like a lot of people sell themselves short on both hydration and on sodium. Absolutely. And I think sodium even more so than hydration, but I don't want to take away from the significance of hydration because I agree. Let me throw in something, though, that I think uh, is important because I've seen it with 90% of my clients over the years. Hmm. And it's funny because now it's to the point where I tell them what's going to happen and then they come back and go, oh my God, you're, it did happen. <laughs> the first week of a diet change, if it's either a big diet change while you're dieting or the initial week when you start dieting, yeah. plan on losing a little bit of strength. 
plan on your pump being a little bit less. But with no other changes in variables that second week, 90% of the time, all of a sudden, that strength is there. Hmm. The body adjusts relatively quickly. Yeah, yeah. But that first week, the body is in WTF mode. Yeah. And then the second week, it's in OMG mode. Where I'm talking hashtags now. I know stage over there is kind of out of the... That, that was well played, too. Between stage and ass to age, we're on a fucking roll today. <laughs> I'll, t I'll take his little hip jabs. I don't give a fuck, because I think we're on a roll today. Um, but You I already think took a hip jab. I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> bad one. My first bad one in 25 years. Well played again. God damn. Um, no, I, I think, though, that it's something that needs to be... Hurt. And I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if people are listening right now going, I'll be damned, that has happened to me. Because it's so fucking predictable. And that's why I don't like to make changes to anything unless I have to with a client for the first two weeks. Because I want them to see, and I want to see if that happens in that second week, because it happens damn near 90% of the time. Scott, how much halo do you need to keep your strength up during diet? <laughs> He's an anadrol. Uh, probably 200 milligrams a day. Wash it down with some whiskey. Yeah, you'll have no, you'll have no liver or kidneys left. But you know, uh, no, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, just I think some of it's psychological too. People get psyched out. They think, oh, I'm getting, oh yeah, I'm losing weight, so I'm gonna get weaker. I mean, yeah. I think just take more trend. That's the answer. <laughs> hey, just the drugs play a role. Don't in, don't do the injection in your. Uh, <laughs> you were asking for that skip you were asking for it there's gonna be more that's all right I, all right I can, I feel, I can hey what's it. up guys scott here i'm gonna jump in with a quick commercial break and then we'll get right back to the program so i'm trying to be creative now you know and, and say something unique each time now that i do one of these ads so today with uh, truenutrition.com i'm gonna focus on on the fact that you don't have to be tethered to a prefabbed pre-workout anymore you know, I've been using pre-workout since 2005, six. I don't know. That's about when they started getting real popular with Jack 3D. But anyway, you know, you get the doses that they give you, and sometimes they're sometimes they're good. There's some good ones out there. There's some good ones with good flavors. Sometimes they're cut in corners. Sometimes there's one with a good flavor that still was cut in corners. And what I'm going to talk about today is the fact that you don't have to be tethered to these prefabbed pre-workouts anymore. You, you could still use them. And if you want to, you can you can amp them up. You can charge them up by adding in some bulk citrulline malate or some bulk beta alanine. You know, we all have a unique response to supplements. Surprise, surprise. You know, we talk about that all the time. You, you respond. We all have a unique response to drugs and training. You know, and, and and nutrition. Why wouldn't we have a unique response to supplements too? So you can uh, you can get more of what you want. You can get more of what you like, too. Like, I like that beta alanine tingle that you get, that that flush. I know I'm going to have a good workout when I feel that, but I know other guys that don't like that. So I'll pick up the beta alanine, and I can amp up my pre-workout no matter what I'm taking. If I'm making one myself, if I'm using a prefabbed uh, store-bought product, I can amp that up, supercharge it with the stuff that I like. So I have a bag of the beta alanine, and I have a bag of the citrulline malate. I also keep the EAAs, a bunch of other stuff, too. So I basically, I make my own supplements at the doses I want. And through experimentation, I figured out what I like. So I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and do that yourself and uh, do that by buying the bulk supplements from our sponsor, truenutrition.com, and use our code to get an additional 5% off. The code is advices. Plus, you know, for me, obviously, it's even more important than you're directly supporting us 
so that we can keep doing this. I try to, you know, I try to, as I said before, get, get companies on board that they carry products you guys would buy anyway. So if you're going to buy protein, if you're going to buy pre-workouts, then, you know, check out our sponsor because it directly goes to help us keep putting these shows out. Our other sponsor is getazoth.com. That's A-Z-O-T-H, getazoth.com. We also have a link to their Amazon. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm on that kick with, with Zynamite right now. And I've been experimenting with that and, and dopamine. Dopamine is that, like I said last time in the last ad, molecule of more. Dopamine is what keeps us in the drive, keeps us, keeps us in the game, keeps us seeking, you know, keeps us wanting to achieve. And, uh, you know, I like, I want to try to keep my dopamine up during the day. Of course, Dr. Dean says we want to keep it down at night. So I definitely want to try to flush that out before I go to bed. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, I, I want to keep that drive up. I want to try to achieve as much as I can. I'm 43 now. I hopefully have a good few years left in me, but I want to make sure I can get the most out of those years and be as successful as possible. And it's products like Azoth 2.0 and products like Total Focus, Pure Energy. Those things help me to stay on my task and get as much done, be as productive as I can. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Oh, and we do have a code for them. Advice is 10. That's good at the, both the Amazon and at getazoth.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'll go back to the live feed here. Um, oh, this is kind of different. This is, uh, so first of all, uh, I think we have a S2H fan. This is Montana uh, Starkey. Montana, first of all, says, hey there, S2H. Didn't say hi to us, Skip. So there, mm-hmm. there is that. So oh, you, I know him. Okay. If you don't want to answer, Skip, if you feel offended, I understand. And I then he has. A, I think he owns a nutrition store in like Wyoming. Oh, cool. He's got a I question too. Probably Montana, but I'm just taking a stab with his name being Montana. But you know, I might have the wrong guy, but I think I'm right. All right. He says, uh, "Any suggestions for posing music? Um, don't want, uh, don't want Branch Warren stomp and scream, uh, but don't want Flex Wheeler uh, flowing pretty stuff. Open bodybuilding. It's a good question. I like this one. It is. Oh. It's nice, and different, nice, and unique. Yeah." I have a I have a theory on posing music. Yeah. So personally, for me, I think if you look at probably a lot of the better posers in the world, they start out with a with first of all get somebody who knows what the hell they're doing to cut the CD for you, so it doesn't you know it didn't you know it starts correctly has the right timing, but something that starts kind of slow and then builds up and then has a peak after like fifteen seconds, yeah, and then slows back down more. Um, what was the song? Um, what's that song called? Um, Karma, Karma Chameleon. No, because um, a guy, there was a couple guys that used it I worked with, and it worked out well. Um, Lightning Crashes by, uh name like a band? I can't remember. I look it up. I'm thinking Final Countdown. You're but something up. that starts kind of slow, know. you know, you can, you, can, you can hit some like, you know, Something that you can build into your best pose or your most muscular pose. Yeah. So you kind of can be more, and you want good flow. You don't want something that's like up and down, up and down all over the place. And don't pick the song everybody else is using because that's the worst when you come out and you, you come out behind somebody, you know, they played the same song four times for you. Well, out there. Yeah. yeah. And, and they killed it and you didn't. That's why I brought up here. 27 competitors in the 1986 Kalamazoo Bodybuilding Championships used Europe, the final countdown. That's 27? Why. Nobody gets in 27. Not, that's after I started counting. There were more before that. Holy shit. And, and Hans, if Hans Vandergranen is listening, and he's not, Lainey might be. She, she listens to the show. She's a fan of mine. 
<laughs> she's awesome. But anyway, I took a little stab. Live is the name of the band. There. Live sings that song. You're overthinking this, I think. That's my opinion. I don't think what? your advice is bad at all because I follow what you're saying and I agree with the building, but I think you're overthinking it. So here's my response, and, and, I'm dead, and I'm dead serious when I say this. Just pick the music to you that means something to you. It has some type of motivational factor that you can relate to because, and especially if you haven't competed very much, it'll help with not necessarily familiarity, but like a, your comfort level on stage because it'll mean something to you. Mm. It doesn't even have to mean some two people are like, oh, it should be slow because you have this flowing classic. That's overthinking it too, because it just matters whether you like the music or not, because here's the truth of it. Until you're at the national level, your fucking posing routine doesn't mean shit to the judges anyway. You're, they're literally giving mm. you time so that your family and friends can see you on stage and you can enjoy the process of being the only one out there yeah. feeling like getting your money's worth after you just <laughs> worked your nuts off for six months. Yeah, It means nothing when it comes to the judging other than maybe they might think you're the best poser and give you best poser award. But I'm going to tell you something about that too. If you're going to put in more time to your posing than you do with your training conditioning, which happens 90% of the time, take the best poser award when you're talking about like state and, you know, smaller shows and it's never, well, maybe not never. It's rarely the guy who is, was in really good condition and has a great structure. It's someone who they're more artsy and they like the, presentation aspect of it potentially more than the actual training and dieting part. Yeah, there are guys out there like that. I've seen Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And not everybody is artsy and every, a lot of times you take the best physique and they're just out there to pound out and grind out poses. Yeah. They're you know, to, I had they do. They, because they love the training and the dieting, not the posing aspect of it. Now, Kenny Wallach was on the show not too long ago. I think he made a good point. He said when you pick a posing song, he and I think this is a fine line. Because there's a chance, like you said, Skip, everybody was posing to Journey. I've seen like every show I've ever been to here in the U.S., like ACDC, Back in Black, and Iron Man. Those two songs are on like a zillion times. So you don't want to pick something that's that common. But you, what he said is you want to pick something that is common enough that people will recognize it. Songs I agree. That, that people will like. That way, mm -hmm. the second it comes on that you're like, Oh, I like that song. Oh, you can you can kind of get into it immediately. Mm -hmm. You don't want something that's like so weird and out there and abstract that like it's going to throw people off. So I think that that's a, a good thing. We had a uh, I think this is where is this at? Matt Marshall made a good point. He said, uh, pick a song that you can stand to listen to 436 times. God damn right. Over <laughs> and over. Because otherwise yeah. you're going to get sick of it. the words. Yeah. Even if they mean something to you, they don't need to mean. They don't need to mean anything to anybody else. Yeah. So if I say, you know, people say, well, what would you use? I know what I use because the words to the song have meaning to me. But if I tell people what that is, it'll just be, it'll seem cheese ballish. Mm. So there's no reason for me to do that or anybody else to have to do that. It's about what it means to you. Now, Kenny Wallach, though that's good advice, and I agree with him, he's going to have different advice because the large majority of his clients, though, are at the higher level where the posing does mean a little bit more. At that level, there's a little bit more physiques are a little closer together. There's not the obvious. So sometimes some of them are being know, judged, too, you know, because he's he's that's, working that's with pros. Like, yeah. I completely agree with you. Yep. The other thing that I did want to point out, too, that I think some people will be surprised at, especially if they don't compete much, is the pose down doesn't mean shit. 
The pose down is to buy time yes. for the judges to get the votes down the table and to the MC and the crowd not to sit there and be bored and the competitors not sit there and be bored. That's it's the fun. only reason. It is kind of fun. It's kind of a payoff. It's kind of like, okay, now we can fuck off and everything. Else. And that's why I like to see unique, lively shit. I love it when some dude will chase another dude. The dude's being funny trying to get away from him. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. You told everybody in the auditorium that he was better than you. and You didn't want to stand and pose with him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You're just having fun because yeah. it means nothing in the when it comes to the judging or the placings. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, Montana also adds uh, two minutes later and Skip didn't give a suggestion. Give a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It, all right. It was like five minutes. It wasn't two. Yeah, it wasn't two. He's being nice. Um, <laughs> Suggested is he talking specific songs? I guess so. Yeah, you're gonna okay, pick I'll his posing music. Here, here's I think is a good one. It's generic. I don't know what the words would be. I like personally. I like the remake of the Cranberry song, but I don't know who does it. It's very raspy Zom- and who is it? Zombie. It's good. It's good, isn't it? Zombie, Rob Zombie. Come on. Come on. Oh. Zombie. Yeah, it's it's uh, wolves, no, something wolves. It's zombie. Yeah, yeah, the Cranberry yeah, song. Um, who doesn't wolves? Is it yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I've got it on a God, track in my, um, in my, I was singing it going down the road. My window down the other day. It's good though. It's good. It takes a while to peak. It just continuously builds. There's not this like big, Oh, I'll hit a most muscular right here and then call it. Yeah. So it, it would be difficult to pose to from that sense, but it is very good. It's a very good combination of not too slow. And you know, that sort but has Bad a rest. Huh? Bad wolves. Bad wolves. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It looks like Montana is going with that. He says done. Oh, there you that's go. That's a good song because because yeah. that song starts out slow and it peaks and then it comes back down because I, for me personally I don't like the people have really fast beat songs and they have to transition really fast to poses. You only have sixty seconds yeah. though, so you don't get the whole song. There's that. Hey, no, I'd rather you do half the poses and make them look really good than. Do no. a bunch of them, they look half-assed. No, I mean the the song starts slow and peaks. He'll have to he'll have to figure yeah. out where he wants to cut it. Then, there isn't you know? a deliberate peak. That well, you're going to start out with your like your your yeah. I mean, start out with like your 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 poses that are decent or good, and but then when it peaks, hit your best poses. You also yeah. don't have to start at the beginning of the song either. Right, you can right. Start. You can get a guy. Yeah. Get yeah. a guy to cut the music. Yeah. yeah. I'm flattered he's going to use it. <laughs> All right, yeah. Give we got to shoot shoot your routine and and send it to us. Let's That's see, right. Let's see what that looks like. Um, all right. Now I see Juan uh, posted on the live feed. He also has a question here. Uh, he says, "Hi guys, I'm asking for now. Keep in mind, I believe he's from Argentina." He's working at a uh, a gym that's like a rehabilitation center in Mexico. So shout out to uh, Mexico. Safe. Recommendation for a 47-year-old looking for AAS advice. He says, I'm super healthy. Uh, So he's he's a little bit of an older guy. And basically, he can get probably a lot of good stuff. (laughs) Easy. Easy. He can basically get a lot of stuff because he's in Mexico. Mexico. They got some G down there town too. I heard. Yeah. I tell him uh, two IU's of chili. That's where he's from. That's right. And probably 200 milligrams of test a week. Wait, I'm sorry. I kind of interrupted you because I was. No, so I would tell him like two to three IU's of GH every other day and like 200 milligrams of test a week. Yeah. Did you probably. say I mean, that's just just estimating off his age? 
Did you say that the gear is good though in Mexico? I mean, I'm not being sarcastic when I say this, but I, I mean, just want to stay away from them big old harpoon sustenons. See, I, you know, I'm I question. You'd be, you'd be crippled gear. on both legs if you use those things. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I think. It probably depends I mean, where got, you're at. They got 18 gauge needles on them. Yeah. If if you're us, some random American dude who's going down to Cancun, I bet you the gear's pretty shitty. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, I, don't I heard. Know. Well, I, okay, let me say this. I bet you your likelihood of getting fake gear would be higher for us, guys that are just, like, coming in, don't know no. the lay of the land, don't know anybody in the gyms. Yeah, because I know that they do have fakes down there, too. Yeah, yeah you just go to the pharmacy. Yeah, they they were selling fakes at the pharmacies, though. That was yeah, the problem. They, I agree. There's, uh, actually, there, I heard that they, everything has got the quality. Everything's really increased down there. I'll tell you what, I hope so, because honestly, I would have rather drank the water than inject fucking Nor 50. And I'm just being honest. If the water's that bad, I the gear isn't far too far behind. I just, I have never, this is just my own, this is on, this is just me. I have never considered Mexican gear to be anywhere near the, the top of the list. I would personally not use it. Uh, even if it was my only option. That's well, but me. if you lived in Mexico, I bet you would know where to go. Like, that may well be. That is very true. That for could instance, be. Juan mm-hmm. just added, he says, there's legal sustenon that you can buy at Walmart. So there, you know what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there and is. Like I said, maybe it's come a long way. Uh, I agree with you about the harpoon thing. That's not even a needle. That's like a funnel. You're not injecting it. You're kind of just pouring it into the muscle at that point. It's like one, a garden. One and a half inch 18 gauge. God damn. Yeah, you I've do. Done it. You do have to watch it, though. Matt just chimed in, and, and I've heard this, too. He said John Romano said that they put UGL stuff on the shelf in the little pharmacias. I've seen that, yeah. And that's yeah. where they've run into issues. So you just got to know what I you're mean, getting. It's, it's relevant, too, to what you know you're looking at. That's what do you mean? One of the things. But I think if they're so, asking questions here. Well, I mean, not- so here's the deal. You, I'll, I'll give you the whole scenario. You go in there, and you and you fill out your stupid little script thing for 10 bucks or whatever. And then you look at the shit they have, and then you tell them, where's your good shit? And they take it back to the hallway, and there's the good shit. Okay, that may be. But what I'm saying is I think it's fair to understand, though, too, that um, if they're asking questions about gear and things like that, they may not have – you know, they probably don't have the background to be able to tell – whether something we'll ask them to go to the hallway for the good shit, just tell me about the good shit. No, right, but that's, kind of, that's pretty trusting of someone you don't know that you're going to inject. And I'm sitting here with a oh, like buying uh, off the internet anymore, un, un, anymore trusting. Well, I think that if you there, there are if you're just buying from some random source, I would agree with that. But I also think that sources these days they have to have. Uh, Typically, they have to have a solid reputation if they've been around for a while because they won't stay around for a while if they don't have a good reputation of not just quality gear but services and prices and everything else. The other thing is is there are other people who have been around for a long time who have different options with Internet gear uh, or sources that the average layman doesn't have yeah. options or you, you know what i'm saying so yeah. um sometimes your position in the industry and things like that and who you know and who knows you can get you uh much better gear without you having to run it down or find it and the average person that's going to come to us and ask questions is not going to be in that position they're kind of just randomly picking well this name sounds good and it seems to have good reviews and that sort of thing so it's a completely and i've been there i know and that's why i say that i think we all have 
you know, there was a time where I didn't know what the fuck I was doing and who to go to and, and had to trust someone that I didn't know if I could trust them or not, not just to get the gear. You know, most people are like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna get the gear. I don't want to get scammed. Oh, so I want to have my shit be real and not be brewed up in this, uh, big giant pot that looks like at one point it might've been also know, used to make fentanyl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about yeah. this? How about this then? So he can get Sustanon legit. We're 100% sure of that. He probably can get some other good stuff too. But I mean, he's 47 years old. Sounds like he's not an AS user currently. I mean, first of all, before we even do that, I think you guys would probably agree too. Like, get your lab work done. See where you're at. Maybe at 47, he already could use TRT. And if not, I mean, we're just going back to like real basics here. If not then at least it would be good to know where your test levels were right before yeah. going in. Mm -hmm. And if he just did a cycle, what about that, Scott? What about just like a cycle of a sustenance? How would, how would you set that up? I mean, if it's 250, like 125 on Monday, 125 on Thursday, and then the GH every other day. For yeah, somebody that's just put on TRT. God damn, I'd go higher than that. I understand yeah. what you're I mean, doing. You're keeping it at TRT, but yeah, I mean, just one, I mean, that's going to bring him up in the, you know, well, thousand to eleven hundred range probably you know it's it's definitely going to be i mean unless he's just an anomaly for age 47 it's definitely going to be higher than what his natural levels are i mean yeah. most people at that age and i've seen their labs they're probably anywhere from 200 to 400 you know somewhere like that so i mean, I mean gonna, it depends what he wants to do i mean he's in he good shape to too little, this guy's yeah, like, he, he looks like he's good a little, a little boost just take 125 on monday and 125 on on Thursday, that worked. See, I say if he wants a boost, he wants a cycle, go 250, 250. And if he can get quality sustenance, he can get quality DECA. Throw in 300 mm. milligrams of DECA and just take off. If he finds that it's too much, raises his blood pressure, he feels like he wants to uh, pretty much put his dick in anything that moves, uh, then maybe back off a little bit from there. But, I mean, if you're going to go four to 500 on tests for a cycle and you're going to add two or 300 DECA and you – feel comfortable that the that the gear is legit and everything else and you want to hit a first cycle run with that four four and three hundred four and two hundred if you want to really push it you know five and three hundred it, it, run it and see how you feel what about like ais then uh depending on uh, uh again coming back to one. The, yeah i think for four or five hundred milligrams sustenon it probably is especially the longer esters i, I people tend to think that sustenon as these really short esters and predominantly that compound is very long ester there's like one right like one well one that's one three. of them real long well no i mean <laughs> like one real short ester yeah it very yeah it's a, yeah. It's a probe sip and anthate mix usually uh okay but there's at least one that's significantly longer well, than i mean anthate. sometimes they, it depends days. on who you, i mean true sustenon and what you might see on the market now i mean they put all kinds of weird shit in there like there's five blends four blends three yeah. blends but there's usually the shortest and the longest and something in the middle yeah all right all right cool let's see here um what else do we have here i'll go back to okay here's an eaa question uh where do you guys see eaa's being the most beneficial during the day or are they unnecessary if i already have a decent way isolate yeah, they, I, I don't think way isolate has anything to do with it. The only time I would recommend EAAs is intra. 
I think for people who use it otherwise, there's really no need. If you have, if you're eating your meals when you're supposed to eat your meals, when you're having protein drinks and that sort of thing, you don't need EAAs because your blood level, blood levels for protein amino acids aren't going to be bottomed out at any point. The only time you really have a demand for that is while you're training intensely. In my opinion, uh, and taking something like this, I'll even throw in one more thing. Don't take your EAAs prior to doing cardio. It's They're not an expensive supplement, but basically you're providing fuel outside of the fuel that you really want to be using during cardio. And the fuel you want to be using during cardio is strictly body fat, if at all possible. It's not always going to be that way, but that that's what you want your primary source to be. You don't want it to be BCAAs or EAAs or anything like that. They're relatively – the other thing, too, is – I don't know and can't say for sure that if all of a sudden I cut my EAAs for a year that I would see any different of a response than I'm getting right now. But they're so cheap and they work out on paper to be effective and, and proven over time, study after study after study, that the cost to benefit is there. So use them. I get all of my supplements through True Nutrition. The only two that I really you know, I, I could get anything I wanted. I could take anything I, that they have. I use primarily two things, my protein and EAAs. If I thought anything else worked so, all that great, I'd use it. EAAs. Most of your EAA supplements on the market are mostly branched chain amino acids. Mm. They have very minimal EAAs in them. I've seen that. And they have, the ones that most of them that do have a very low amount of EAAs in them. So, I mean, like the stuff Joe has, um, that has like legitimate EA, a lot of high quality EAs and has a the right amount of them. Who's but most companies don't put enough in them because they cost more. Yeah, uh, Binley's thing. What's but that? I think that comes down uh, to a lot of supplements too, though. Yeah, you know, a lot of yeah. a lot of to increase profit margins, they cut corners and they get cheaper quality shit. You really have to trust your uh, nutritional supplement source. Yeah. As much, if not more, than your gear source, quite frankly. And you need to treat them equally when it comes to, uh, you know, their reputation. Um, you know, whether you think that they're going to, that they're putting out quality, quality product at a good price. And I think that's where things like True Nutrition or Joe's, um, you know, someone who's reputable, reputable, that you can say, you know what, this motherfucker would only put out good shit. Because that's, of the type of person he is, he would not put out garbage. And that's Project AD that you're mentioning. Because you guys keep saying yeah. Joe. I don't think no, not necessarily everybody yeah, would know. Yeah, Joe Benley's Project AD. I mean, because yeah. he educated me on a lot of the EA stuff and started showing me labels. And yeah. I was like, damn, yeah. It's like most a lot of them are just mostly branched-chain amino acids, like a little piss ant amount of EAs thrown in. Yeah. And you know, so you got to look at what you're buying. Like, you can go to True Nutrition and you can buy them individually and build your own pre-workout or something that's, you can that buy works well you can just buy them as a thing too like you can just buy straight yeah bulk. individually yeah. well not into like they're all together you know in one yeah and let me say though too if, you, if you're using bcaa's you're it's you're still better off than not using any, anything at all bcaa's still work it's just that now after time has passed they have shown eas to be far more effective than bcaa's but bcaa's a lot of people say that they're garbage and they don't that's not true they still work they're still effective they're just not as effective as eas and the cost in the difference in cost really isn't all that much it's not significant enough to make you go well i can really can't afford eaa so i'm just going to go with bcaa's just buy the fucking EAAs and then know that you're covered. And again, it's everything that works out on paper that has been proven over time. And you've got it in. It's an insurance supplement, really, is what I like to call it. It's in there because you know it works because it's been worked out on paper and it's been worked out in studies and it works. 
You're not going to see it. You're not going to be able to go after time. Man, I really I sure I'm glad I added those EAAs. Boy, my, my progress has been off the charts now and since I switched from BCAAs. It's not going to happen like that. Yeah. I remember uh, not, this is before I knew Victoria. She was having some sort of issue. It might have been digestive issue. I can't remember. Uh, Dr. Eric Serrano had her go to using only EAAs for her amino acid source, for her protein source. It was, and the reason was is because, so for anybody who's watching that's not super familiar with what we're talking about, the difference would be that, I mean, although like a good high quality whey protein is already basically like pre-digested, it's ready to go. EAA is going to like literally doesn't need to be digested. It just hits your stomach and goes into your bloodstream from what I understand. So that's what I understand too. the value being then like you're saying, Skip, you know, for us, if a main healthy person, you know, the main reason would be use it during your training to get those amino acids in. If you wanted to try to supply aminos, like while you're working out, I use them. I use right now I'm using, uh, you know, and I'll use this as our, as our moment. This will be like our commercial ad for the day. Uh, true nutrition's, uh, Perry MD got a tub of it on the shelf. You guys can't see it behind me, but, uh, that's with their highly branded cyclic dextrin. So I just, I try to get about 10 grams EAAN while I'm training and I'm using that with carbs now. So if we're talking dosing, how many, what, like, what, what kind of numbers would you talk, Skip, for like a total of EAAs, uh, like while you're working out, if you're going to use it then? I think typical is 15 grams, okay. 20, 20 grams maybe, but I mean, that's just an average person. It depends on the type of training you're doing, the length of training, yeah. uh, whether you're, you know, in a caloric uh, deficit versus a surplus, things like that. But, um, you know, hard gainer, if you're an endo or an ecto, I mean, there's a lot of things in there. Not that there's a ton of calories there that's going to impact, I guess, your body fat levels. But yeah. the point being is, you know, are you going into your workout with a, you know, pretty good pre-workout meal or has it been two, two and a half hours and you're going in and you don't have much coming out of that last meal. There are factors like that. You ever sometimes feel like when we're talking that we're trying to keep everybody focused on us while like the kids are playing around us while they're doing other things and we're trying to keep like they're the, like they're texting they or something. No, like they're like to keep them from being distracted by the kids playing in the yeah, yeah. You ever I just I wonder because I sometimes keep feel going, that way. Skip. <laughs> I'm just looking up his. I'm just looking up his Aminator essential amino acid bro- profile. What? Uh, hey, uh, Scott. What? How many? I was going to move on here, but how many grams of EAAs would you suggest somebody using uh, intra workout? Well, I'm looking up his thing because I don't know. Okay. But I can't get it to pull up on the screen. Whatever's in that Aminator by Project AD, All whatever right. it recommends. That's what I recommend. All God, right. That's an easy cop out there. But anyway, okay, yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. If you go with True Nutrition, <laughs> use our code advices. Skip, you used their um, their flavored. I have not used that because I'm kind of a cheap ass. So I get the unflavored is it, EAA. Is it that much more? It's more. I can't remember because you get like 30 servings versus a giant bag that lasts forever. I'll tell you what, the taste though, it's night and day because You've that's definitely that. unflavored. Do you, do you mix that with something, Scott? I, yeah, I throw it in with my uh, – so what I do is the Perry MD has – an EAA in it and then I take another 10 grams or 8 grams or something like that and I throw it in on top of it so it's already flavored by the Perry MD yeah so it's probably not that right. bad try it by itself one time EAAs taste like shit yeah it's bad oh it's the worst man yeah it's rough it's yeah. terrible yeah 
All right. Uh, let's see here. Kind of a question. Now, we're not going to have a specific answer for this one, but I thought it would be fun to just kind of bring it up. And I, I've got some thoughts. If you guys get stuck, I, I, I can throw something in here. He says, uh, hi, guys. And this is from Juan again. This is the one he had on the feed. Uh, says, I, I see a few days ago a Scott McNally pick saw how conditioned. I think he's saying saw how conditioned he was. I think it was a client of mine, Ben. He says, well, what do you do to get super conditioning like that look? You hire Scott McNally. Boom. No, thank you. But <laughs> I'm promoting you. But let's talk about it. Yeah, that kind that. of rehearsed. I don't, I don't know. I like seemed that. a little rehearsed. <laughs> I mean, I got a Venmo S2H really quick. <laughs> exactly. Cash, Sell at, him cash at me. Sell right. him that. Nah, I mean, what, to get to that level? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about super condition. Like nuts. Oh. Like, like you think you're in shape? And then you, you see this dude, you see Shelby Starnes at his best, and you're like, holy fuck, I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, or his client, Jill. Oh, Jill. Nine, she only eats 900 grams of carbs a day and all sorts of stuff and has three cheat meals every week. Right. I mean, this girl's a fucking machine. It's, it's, in, it's insane. Anyway, how do you get to that level? I mean, it's just really a matter of, uh, and I wrote an article uh, just a couple of days ago to come out in a couple of weeks, and it's about... Too much focus on I got to get shredded glutes or anything else because that's only a part of the conditioning. So I will piggyback off of that and say this. If you go into a diet phase like this guy is asking and you, I want to look like Scott McNally, I just want to be shredded. You are in a sense slitting your wrists because you're that's only one component of getting to that conditioning. As an example, if Scott got to Scott McNally, gets to that condition but can't fill out and isn't full enough, mm. he's missing out on half of the condition component right there. You're right. So it, it it's understandable, and I get why people want, they focus on that conditioning, but some people can't get to that level of conditioning no matter what they do. And I understand there will be people who will say, oh, well, you can't skip, but I can because I've been prepping. Okay, you think that way. There are some people, because there's a genetic component to getting lean and shredded, just like there's a genetic component to getting bigger and you know being having the size that is the difference between being a high-level amateur uh, versus someone who will never get to that phase. So you have to get as lean as you can possibly get without losing or giving up muscle tissue in the process. And how do you get there? I mean, it's just the dieting game. It's the consistent day in, day out, being in a deficit, but not too much of a deficit. It's dieting versus over dieting. It's maintaining muscle. It's one thing to get lean, but you, what we do is different as bodybuilders because we have to hold on to the muscle that we have while we're stripping the body fat. So it's a balancing act. It's not like, well, I just, I'm going to more, and this is a typical approach for 90% of not very good trainers. They all have the same formula. They decrease calories, decrease caloric input and increase caloric output. And that simple formula will not necessarily get, it'll get you leaner, but it may not get you to that ultimate shredded because what happens with mm. the people who get to your condition, Scott McNally, they get to the point where metabolically calories usually have to be added back in at some point to continue to feed the metabolism. I'm not even talking about skip loading. I'm talking about the daily diet itself. Because once you get that giant boulder rolling down the hill, yeah, yeah. sometimes it rolls a little too fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you ain't going to stop the motherfucker. You got to steer it. You got to add a lot of times you're going to find people in condition like that who get into absurdly lower fat, lower body fat condition. They will at some point in the last leg of the prep have to start adding calories back in because their metabolism takes the fuck off. I love that. That's the best part of a diet right there. That's oh, when yeah. that's when you know that you're you know you're there when you get to that point where you're adding food, adding food, adding food right. and still getting leaner. You're adding food just to keep the scale from bottoming out, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love and that. it does come back to skip loading too, but the point is is that has to happen in the diet as well. And I think a lot of people might think, "Oh, you skip load, skip so you don't have to do that." No, I have to do that a lot of time. I have mm. had to do it with me. I have to do it with those people who their metabolism takes off at the end, and it happens with a lot of these people who end up absurdly lean. You're pretty. You're looking pretty lean right now, by the way. You're looking. Oh yeah, you're looking pretty drawn in. I'm not going to show you my ankles, but I'm, at least I look good from, uh, from the neck up right now. So, or my hip. I'm not going to show you my hip or my leg. <laughs> Scott, what's your what's your thoughts, Scott, on getting like like absolutely peeled out of your mind? It's a marathon, not a sprint. So mm-hmm. it's a marathon, not a sprint. Take it day to day, and don't you know? Just it's it's discipline really is what it comes down to with most people. Right. And discipline, doing your cardio, going to the gym, keeping on your diet. Uh, if you don't have discipline, you're not going to make it. But most people who don't have real good discipline are always looking at the end and not looking at what's going on that day or that current, you know, time frame they're in. Sure. It's a psychological it's, you know, game. It's a big part of it. I remember. A lot of people think it's physical, but it's a psychological game. It is a mind fuck. I learned, like, I had to take conditioning too far one year. Just because I wanted to know, like I, I just wanted to see, you know, and part of it was that I got into shape the first time in like, I can't remember what year, but it was that same year when I got into shape. I, that was the year Shelby Starnes got like incredibly peeled, like incredibly peeled and um, like for central states, I think it was 2008 maybe. And then so I appreciated like, wow, I can really see what this takes. And I was like, he's not a huge dude, but because he's in such good shape. That makes him look impressive, and that's my only hope, you know, because I was a middleweight. Mm-hmm. And so the the next year, I got into pretty really good shape, but then after that, then I I, I decided like, okay, I, you know, I really want to get shredded, really want to get shredded, uh, you know, that's just what I want to be. But I also needed to get bigger. So the following year, following show, which is two years later, I came in bigger, and I was like 194. And the year after that, and I wasn't as hard. And the year after that, after having been 194 on stage, I came back at 180. And when I was 180, dude, I was leanest like that I could possibly be. I still have like I was pretty lean this last time I got shredded in 17, but I was not. I was leaner then. But you know what? I pushed it too far, Skip. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't fill back out. If I had what now, looking back at it, what I would have needed was another month. Like Mm -hmm. get to that point and then be able to start eating more again because I sure I just wanted to see like I just wanted to see how far I could take it, how far I could take it. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And and it was through that experience that I actually learned. Yes, being ultra conditioned is something that I can do and it's very important. But if you can't get full, like you just said, it's not it doesn't matter. You know, you're a better coach, though. 
for going as far as you did because you not not only do you know now what it takes to get there, but you know that it's too far. Yeah. So for a coach who hasn't gone that far, then I have to wonder, how do you know where too far is if you haven't been to too far? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you've been there. So that makes, in my opinion, it makes you a better coach. To some degree, better coaches have made more mistakes huh. than the other than a lot of other coaches who may not be as good. They know what is too much. Maybe it's gear. Maybe it's uh, too many cheat meals. Hmm. Maybe it's losing too much body fat and getting to the point where you're so depleted that you can't fill out. There's a lot of things there that you I and I know you'd have to you'd probably agree. You have to experience some of those things and see what they look like and see what they feel like yeah. to know how far is too far. Yeah. Yeah. And and now I get it. You know, now I get more of the like I I can see that and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But if you can't in the filling out, man, when you get that lean if you wait too long, it can be too far gone. And I learned uh-huh. that specifically from talking to you guys, specifically skip. We talked about my legs. I've talked about this right. on the show before, but yeah, th- that was a big thing was that my legs just shrunk up and it was just that they were depleted, but it took a long time to fill them back out. So now I never let them get that far depleted. And you're right, man. Not everybody can do that. Not like every, we all have, limitations and also i think that like shredded looks different on different people i tend to be real vascular and my muscle tends to be like really grainy looking so i think that that helps me because then it it makes it that much more dramatic looking Mm -hmm. sure some people don't have that quality so it's not that Mm -hmm. the body fat's actually lower it's just more cosmetically crazier you know well that's the whole point that i that i wrote the article about was because you will find with some of these guys who have shredded glutes those lines in their glutes and the way that musculature is in their glutes is a hereditary component because a lot of times you're so focused on the glutes that you might not even notice that their back is not as hard as their fucking glutes how many times have you seen a striated guys from egypt are notorious for this a striated tricep outer head in italy Italy too. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From that region, that happens a lot, but you don't see that in other regions. And then I, I see their tricep and I'm like, mm, they got pretty good glutes too. And then I see that their back is soft. Yeah. And I'm thinking, God damn, it's a good thing that glutes are the priority right now. And everyone's going to be so impressed with your triceps because your back ain't there yet. But you don't notice that because you're so drawn to the things that are, you know, we've, we've kind of, put so much attention on like glutes right now glutes glutes is like the and it has been for probably seven years five seven years if you've got shredded glutes you have fucking arrived you've apparently outworked everybody on the stage yet that no one wants to admit that there's a genetic component to that as well there are many many people who will be in incredible condition and take overalls at shows without shredded glutes because they're not that fucking depleted and they're not too ridiculously lean that they can't fill out. So they have the total package. They're full, they're dry, they're lean. Those three things, not just glute lean. That was exhausting. S2H, I got a mindset question for you here. I'm getting the donut out. You're taking a break? Skip's going to go on another, he's going to go on another ramble here. I'm going to go to sleep. It's that's a toilet seat cover. I got a question for us to H. We're going to, we're going to bring you back in the game. Okay. Fire away. Matt Marshall asks, uh, how to be more coachable, the mindset 
behind seeking uncomfortable feedback, how to constantly seek to learn and improve, personal experiences both as clients and coaches. Uh, so he wants to know how he can be like the client, the, the client can be more coachable or just the overall yeah. relationship. Well, let's, we, we could talk about either. I think that, yeah, but I think he's asking for himself, you know, how to be the best client he can be, how to be the I best athlete. The, so, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't take constructive criticism. Well, and I would be, I, I, I used to be that way a lot, but I mean, you think you have to look at, Hey, what if, you have to own, you know, you're working towards a goal. So you got to own that goal. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I think it's different. Some people compete, you know, some people, I work with people that, you know, the communication was great. We, I'm probably more direct sometimes with things, but you know, you got to understand that don't take everything personally. If, if, you know, if your coach says, Hey, you know, I need you to do this and, you're not, you know, I don't think, are you really sure you're doing that or you're staying on your diet, whatever, on your diet. I mean, don't, don't get defensive because you need to just analyze what, because you just by email. So just kind of analyze what they say and say, hey, I'm not really, I'm not really doing what I need to do. Or maybe you are doing what you need to do. And sometimes that's where I like to call people because sometimes when you talk in person, you can get a better rapport and understand where somebody's coming from than through email, text and all that. But, you know, in the, in the, in the end, you got to own what you're doing and, you know, just take it, take it in stride and, you know, make the changes you need to make. And, but, you know, there's sometimes you get a coach client relationship that just doesn't work out. You know, maybe their approach isn't, isn't, isn't working for you and you may have to move on too, but that's a, I would not make that decision until you look at yourself and go, Hey, am I doing what I need to do? Am I really you know, am I really putting in the work? Am I really doing what he wants me to do? So, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, that's why I don't, I don't like emails and texts sometimes because, you know, you get kind of the wrong vibe or the wrong feeling for what someone's saying something. You can sometimes, you, absolutely. You can take it personally. Um, so that's why, like I said, if, if you're, if you're working with a coach and you're not really getting what they're saying or you're not, it's the vibes not good. Maybe go ask them for a phone call. And maybe you can, you know, a lot of times that'll pan things out a lot better. So that's about it. Skip being, skip being more coachable. Uh, how to be more coachable, the mindset behind seeking uncomfortable feedback, how to constantly seek and learn and improve personal experience, both as a client and coach. Yeah. It's I To me, it's communication. The number one thing is communication. Uh, and it's not just communicating, but it's honest feedback without the trainer being provided with the feedback that they're asking and honest feedback, then you're kind of setting yourself up to, you know, for not the best experience and not the best. I, as an example, you know, speaking for myself, I can't make adjustments to a plan that are accurate if I'm not getting accurate feedback. I have noticed over the years that the clients who, I don't want to say I get the best results with, but but the clients who don't communicate very much yeah. typically don't get the best results. Do the best. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. And to, as far as what to do as a client, ask questions. Because you're not only paying, and I've said this for years and years and years, and I'm glad to see that other trainers, and whether it's because I said it or not, I don't know. But I'm glad to see that it's a trend because it didn't used to be. 
as a as a trainer, you're not just providing results. That's the number one thing that you're being paid for, but you are also being paid to pass on your knowledge and experience to your client. They need and deserve and are paying for not just the results, but to understand why mm. they're doing what they're doing. Okay. I think a lot of trainers hold back on that because, and I've had these jaded thoughts as well for doing this for as long as I have. There are a lot of people, especially competitors, who are trying to suck you dry. Mm. And they yeah, want I was just going to bring that up. I've had that. They take your information and their primary concern, they want results. But don't kid yourself. When your reputation is good and you're well-known, people are going to come to you sometimes just to learn what you know. Yeah. So they can take it and they can use it to be paid for it. Yeah. And here's the thing. It used to bother me because I was like, I know this motherfucker is asking this question and doesn't have anything to do with him. Right, He's right. just trying to suck my methods and uh, and get the details of everything. But then I had to give up on that because it doesn't really matter why. It matters because they're paying you and they're your client. That's what they're paying. It's basically you're obligated to do. And if you're not, what the fuck are you going to do? Are you going to try to screen them and say, well, this guy's trying to learn something? Everybody's <laughs> trying to learn because everyone's a goddamn prep guy these days. Yeah, yeah. So get over yourself. And if it's such a problem, then maybe you're just not charging people enough. Oh, yeah, there you go. My fee structure is set I, I got, up. I got one other thing, too. But to know you're coming to me probably for my experience and my knowledge, and you're going to go gain from it. So you're going to pay more for it. Yeah. And if you don't want to, I guess move on. The line's around the fucking corner. So kiss my ass. <laughs> I'd say one other thing too. Like, so I've had people I've worked with for years over and over. And yeah, we talk about personal stuff and everything. But when you hire a coach out of the gate, don't, he's not your life. He or she's not your life coach, mm. you know, job, family, pro. I mean, when you start, when you have one paragraph about your, your weekly check-in and four paragraphs about everything in your life. Yeah you're going to really, you're going to slow, you're going to shut most coaches down. They're going to give you minimal answers. Yeah. Communications will start to strain. Now, over time, when you work with people a lot, you know, things pick up, you get to know them more, but I don't, maybe it's just me, but I don't, I'm not going to, I don't need to know about your job and why your wife hates you or whatever. You know, I'm a little different. I mean, I'm a little different than that. And I respect where you're coming I mean, from. But if you work with yeah. someone for a long time and you build a rapport with them, there are clients that I consider it doesn't happen a lot. Well, I said that I when you're a first when you're a first time client. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair no, I said when you're a first time client. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because you know, it's like I said, when you have one paragraph about your weekly progress and four about or the worst ones is hey, my friend wants to start doing this. What do you think? Or, you know, you start pulling things that are not part of a a coach client relationship that what you're paying for, you start wandering out this big box, That's you know, a good point. Pandora's box. It, it, it could be, you know, you're, you're going to get probably get lower communication. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you end up, I know there have been times where I have said to myself, I would never say this to a client, but uh, I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not here to fucking motivate you. You needed to come to me with the motivation. I'm going to hand you the tools to build your house. If you smack yourself in the yeah. fucking face repeatedly, that's on you, not on me. I don't have to, I shouldn't have to continue to tell you every day, hit the fucking nail with the goddamn hammer instead of your forehead. That just isn't something I'm not, I don't fancy myself this big motivator, but I do build rapport with clients that I've had for long periods of time. And I become 
invested in that because if they are struggling with something that is personal and I have that rapport with them, I do want to hear about it because I want to know why it is or I'm willing to listen to what it is that you're struggling with that is kind of sidetracking you or is your obstacle that you're dealing with right now. And I think that's only fair. But I do think that uh, in, in new clients, I agree with you. We don't have that rapport. We haven't built that yet. I'm talking about clients that I've worked with for a considerable amount of time. Very similar to having them in my home. You know, I, if I have somebody come into town and they're in my home, I probably know them very well. If sure. it's a new client, I'm probably not going to invite them into my personal space around, you know, my kids or, you know, my wife and have them sit at my dinner table if, if I don't know them and have and am comfortable with the relationship that I have with them. Yeah, I will say so. Matt Marshall, I work with him, and I'll tell you what—he already I is. Gotta get, I gotta get the door real quick. Oh, he, he, he already oh. is a perfect client. I'll tell you that right now. He's he, so he doesn't really—I don't think—need to worry about this whatsoever. Um, yeah, I was gonna ask Skip about his pumpkin pan, pancakes. Uh, you know, I, I want, I'm gonna say one thing. You know, Skip yeah. said that some his clients had that have limited communication didn't work out so well, but I've had some really good ones that, I mean, they checked in on time, yeah. sent their picture, their weight, and you, you make a change, send it back. Like, thanks. Yeah. No, I've seen that. I've ever had were like that. I've seen that too. I've seen that too. There's no question. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I could say it's probably not across the board, but I have seen it where, you know what I think it is. I've seen where if somebody isn't as invested, you know, yeah, they don't check in. Yes. Yeah. You go three weeks and you don't know where they're at. Yeah. That, that's a problem. Where do you go? He had to go pee. I told him, let's wrap the show up. And, and I was going to ask him one more question, but that's, that's it. That's all we had. I, man. Saw, him, I saw him limping off. <laughs> he, he'll take that personal, man. You got to be careful with that. Oh, he's all, he must be on meth or something today. He's all wound up. <laughs> he, I'm surprised considering he's, like he's so tweaking. dieted. He's probably going to, he's probably going to do a line or something right now. I don't know. I'm surprised he's so dieted yeah. that he has so much energy. Let's let's just wait for him. Face. Let's wait for him. We'll close the show, but we'll talk about him until he gets back. How's that sound? Yeah, he better get on stage because if he doesn't, I'm gonna ride his ass for a year. <laughs> you and everybody else, you know, he's uh. No, oh, he's not gonna hear the end of it. I'm gonna start sending him like pink flowers and shit. <laughs> I saw his arm. What do you mean? I saw his arm go across the screen. Just now? There he is. He's back. There he is. Just in oh, time. He's just sorry. in time. Just time in go. time to end the show. Uh, <laughs> guys, uh, thanks for watching. Appreciate everybody on the live feed. This is a fucking kick-ass show. Uh, you can tune in to us every other week. So uh, definitely come back and hang out with us every Sunday night that we record this live at the Advices Radio Facebook group. We, uh, we, of course, we air this at YouTube, so head over there. If you guys are watching this on the YouTube, do us a favor and uh, give us a like. If you haven't followed us, then you know subscribe. That helps us in the algorithm. Leave us questions, comments over there. Of course, go to teamskip.com, and uh, let's uh, hunt around for S2H. Go to Texas, and you can find him at the gun range down there. Of course, we're presented by S2H. Hey, when, when, when are we bringing Dave back? You want to bring Dave back? Yeah, get rid of this other guy. We could have all four of us on. That'd be fun. Not with my current internet connection. No? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I put those fire sticks in. It's a mess. Well, we're presented to you guys by 
truenutrition.com. And we are also presented by getazoth.com. Once again, guys, this has been Blood, Sweat, and Gear, uh, Skip Hill, S2H. I'm Scott McNally. See you guys later.